Hey, John, this is Kurt Schneider. Is that Kurt Schneider of the popular podcast, Smart Drivel? Yes, it is, John. And I'm trying to get us right into this one, but I thought I would do something different for this episode in, in how we get into it. In fact, instead of making some noise, I figured I'd push the envelope and get in there. Huh. I don't miss those noises, so I like, I like push the envelope. What the hell does that mean, John? I think it probably does mean like fighter jets and the atmosphere and altitude. I think there's an envelope that you can that you can safely fly in and you don't want to push the envelope. Envelope or an envelope is something you put mail in. It doesn't exist in the sky. Have you ever heard of words that sometimes mean more than one thing? It's very popular in the English language. I've never heard envelope meaning a substrata of the atmosphere. Well, that gets us to the today's topic of the episode. Once a while, a long time ago, we did an episode on expressions that just don't make sense. And your first one you gave us was shit eating grin. That definitely does not make any sense. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to re-up on that one and assert that that does not make any sense. Do you want to hear the definition or the origin of uh, pushing the envelope? Yeah, because here's my question. The only way I could think of it is maybe like Bartleby the Scrivener in the dead letter office was pushing the envelope by sending it out to someone else instead of letting it just die. You know, there's a concept in the law where there's a mistake made in a contract. It's not what the parties intended. It just got written down wrong and it's called a Scrivener's error. How about that? You know who wrote Bartleby the Scrivener? Herbert, Herbert Herman Melville. Thought you were going to say Herman Munster there for a yeah, second. No. Woo! What was what was Herman Munster's address? Oh, you must know this. To its plaza. What year were you born? 1965. You yeah. you grew up at the perfect time to have this information. He lived at 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Ah, that's great. All right. So the expression pushing the envelope comes originally from mathematics and engineering, where an envelope is a boundary, but was popularized by test pilots especially those depicted in Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff. Which was an incredible book. That, that was one of your potential responses. You also could have said, oh, so you were right, John. Chuck Yeager, just, he broke the sound barrier, and we've talked about this. The night before he was out carousing, broke his collarbone, refused to tell the people because he was the one chosen. There was people behind him to break the sound barrier, be the first person ever. He gets up the next morning hungover, can't lift his arm above his head, takes a broom handle, jimmies it so he can be able to close and open the cockpit so he can actually go and break the sound barrier. Ballsy. It is ballsy. Did you explain what this episode is about? Oh, episode. So once upon a time, we did one on shitting and grin and, and phrases that just made no sense that, that made us cockamamie, which is, oh, a slanguage from the 30s. Uh, oh, you're with, just mashing up stuff today, aren't you? Which is... Why does why do this why do we save these phrases? So we're gonna come up with some other ones of why do we save these phrases? We don't think they make sense. Sometimes we will talk about something that really defines the category. And I've got a couple of candidates for you. The two for me are sweat like a pig, and the other is low man on the totem pole. So sweat like a pig doesn't make any sense because pigs don't sweat. 
It's irony, John. It's irony. You think that's what they were after when they coined that phrase? They thought. I think they didn't know that pigs didn't sweat. I think they thought they were big and fat. And when it's hot out, they must have sweat, which is probably why they go slosh around in the cool mud. You think it's ironic. (laughs) Well, I think it's kind of like a black fly in your Chardonnay. Alanis Morissette, isn't it ironic? Oh, okay. It's like rain on your wedding day. Yes. All right. So the other one is low man on the totem pole. You've talked about that before. Why is that such a good example of expressions that make no stinking sense? Because in the idiom has come to mean that you're the lowest guy down below. You're the most junior. You're the most incapable. You're Bunch the of people on top of you. Yeah. Actually the opposite. Because in totem poles, first of all, what is the biggest part of the totem pole? The bottom. What do people see more than anything else? The bottom. Therefore, the master carver got to carve the bottom, and the face that he carved was the most important person, the chief, the bigwig. Did Alanis Morissette sing about that? You're the <laughs> low man on the totem pole? I'll give you another example that is also altitudinally inaccurate, which is pick the low-hanging fruit. Right. Which is, sounds like you just get the easy ones. And while it's true they are the easy ones, no self-respecting apple picker or fruit tree picker would pick the bottoms one bottom ones first for two reasons one the ones at the top are riper because they have more exposure to the sun and number Correct. two you don't want to carry your big basket full of stuff further and further up because it gets heavier as you put more stuff in it inefficient yes you are correct john what about this one money can't buy happiness what is wrong with that one it's been scientific for- Scientifically proven that money can buy happiness. Yeah, that's the problem. Up to a certain level, I think they've established that once someone's income hits a certain threshold, you know, and they've taken care of a lot of their basic needs, then having additional money doesn't bring additional happiness. But it does buy experiences money, and experiences are are really what make us happy, not things. So keep that in mind the next time you go shopping, Kurt. What about Gift to the Magi by O. Henry? Tough. Yeah, I guess they didn't have enough money for Christmas. I'm not that good at Christmas lore. I mean, you studied totem pole history in college. I didn't take a class on Christmas lore, but I do know that she had beautiful hair and he had a great watch, right? And Correct. didn't have enough money to buy each other a gift, but they very much wanted to have the other have a, a wonderful gift and an expression of their love. So she cut off her hair to buy him like a watch band or something. Chain, yes. A watch chain. And he sold his watch to buy her something for her hair? Yes. He ranked that in sitting in a window booth of Pete's Tavern on 18th Street in Irving Place. I was just there the other day, and it is, you know, pretty cool. He wrote it there. Anyway, how about this one, <laughs> which I don't, I, it might make sense. I don't know why. But man, John, I am so happy. I'm on cloud nine. Okay. So that one doesn't make sense to you? Where's what? What about cloud one or two? What's so special about nine? Cloud fourteen. I'm on cloud eighty-three, John. I think I might blow your socks off because I know why we say I'm on cloud nine to represent how happy you are. Tell me, is it Nirvana esque? Well, back in 1896, Kurt. Oh boy, you're making this up. I am not. I would say Scout's Honor, but I wasn't a scout. I was. Scott is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. 
two all beef patty special sauce lettuce <laughs> pickled onions on a sesame seed bun. We're even. So in 1896, meteorologists. No, not thereabouts. In 1896, meteorologists identified a cloud called the cumulonimbus. Yeah, sure. It was called cloud nine. And because it was the biggest and best cloud to communicate that you were feeling really good, it was like you were sitting on the biggest and best cloud in the sky. Had they found a cloud eight and a cloud seven? Had they identified it? I could only assume they called it cloud nine because one through eight were taken, Kurt. Or maybe they just didn't want to get into double digits and it was the biggest one before you get into double digits because they didn't have enough room to write it I think it was the next one, but there is something called cloud nine and it's the bestest cloud in the sky, Kurt. So like we said in underappreciated- Do you think I'm telling the truth? Yes. Like we said in underappreciated states, which was like episode number four, that the state right below Nirvana is pretty good and it doesn't get, it's just due. Cloud eight, same thing, underappreciated. It's got to be pretty damn good. You know, it's like once we talked about batteries, right? There's A batteries and there's C and D batteries. What the hell happened to B? Yeah, no. At one point, I think there were B batteries, but the things that they powered didn't quite continue on. And out went the B battery. How about the number one pencil? I have two expressions for you. They don't make sense to me. And I'm hoping that you, because you, here's what's funny. You're more logical than I am. And I don't think you've ever been called logical. So in in response to what? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man has came. So, okay. I like that expression. That makes perfect sense. No, I know that one. Oh, I'm just saying, in the subset of the universe of you and me, you are the, yes. you are the one I did. That's why I hang out with people who are just a little bit more messed up in all the important attributes than I am, because I feel like I'm on the normal or the good side. I have a question for you. If you had your choice, this gets back to hypo- hypothetical two weeks ago, but if you had your choice to be Gulliver and go to the land of the Lilliputians, or and be the biggest one, or go to the land of the giants to be the smallest one, what would you rather be? I think I'd rather be the biggest one. Look, there's challenges in both, but I would like to avoid being stepped on. I think I'd like to be the small guy because I'd like to prove my worth and you can cause a lot of damage because they couldn't see you. I think you could probably find yourself in certain conversations and rooms and places because you would be invisible. Of course, it would take you a gazillion billion steps to get there. Right. Interesting. All right. So this is the one I wanted to ask you. The exception that proves the rule. Yeah, let me have to think about that one for a second. If it's an exception, you've disproven the rule. So how can it be an exception that proves the rule? Yeah, that's a good one. I don't I don't think that one makes sense either, but there must be more to it than our brains. Well, I thought you'd that's what I was saying, you're logical. I'm not. And I have sort of a a addition to that one, an adjacent one. Rules are made to be broken. I think that one makes sense, actually. Well, then they're not rules. I think the point of that one is that we need to continue to press our boundaries and have new experiences. And it's manifest destiny, baby. I think rules are um, are helpful, but they're also limiting. So sometimes you got to color outside the lines, Kurt. Well, then they're not rules. That was against the rule, but it could lead to something good. And maybe the rules get reset. Maybe there are new rules. 
So tell me the exception that proves the rule. Okay. So the phrase. People say it all the time. I get it. It is confusing on its face. It comes from a Latin legal principle that reads the following. The exception confirms the rule in cases not accepted. Well, that doesn't really bring much clarity to it. No, it doesn't. Thank you for that. At least we know it's a Latin legal principle like e pluribus unum. That's not really a legal principle. Habeas corpus would be a better. Force majeure. Force majeure is a good one. Kurt, when was the last time you were really upset? When the Giants lost to the Jets. Okay, now you're making me upset. When that happened at the end, and I really don't want to relive that game because very painful, I had a cow. What the hell does that mean? You had a cow. If you were to birth a cow, you you would be really upset because having a cow is the birthing of a cow. Yeah, and they're really not the owning of the cow or the eating of the cow. It means to give birth to a cow. I don't believe that's true. It would make you very upset. Can I tell you? In Chinese, their expression to be very angry translates to in English. Domo origato, Mr. Robot. Oh, that's Japanese. You ready? To emit smoke from seven orifices. All right, so let's count them. It's what I did before, and I got in trouble. Okay, could you refer to them in ways that are okay? Ears? Is that one or two? I think that's two. Eyes? That's four. Oh, we got more than seven, Kurt, don't we? No, I think it's two nostrils, one mouth, two ears, two eyes, that's seven. Okay, so apparently the cow thing, cows are are seen as large temperamental animals. So if you are having a cow, you are sort of acting temperamental. Do you know in Croatia, if they think something is impossible, they say it's balls of a swan? I don't think swans have balls. I guess that's impossible. Well, at least that one makes sense. You know what? When you're laughing like that, Kurt, you are cute as a button. Well, you know. Why are buttons I, cute? I'll tell you why. Okay. The very first dolls that made, were made for little babies and kids. Okay, just declare. Are you telling us the truth or not? Yes. Okay. Came with buttons, button faces, and they were meant to be cute for the, I don't know. So, Kurt, what the hell does that mean then? Cute as a button. Are buttons considered a cute thing? Yeah, and by the way, buttons were also considered something that was new to garments, and so that does that makes them new, not cute. Well, by the way, they also held things together, so you didn't have wardrobe malfunctions. Again, not cute, practical. Janice Jackson, Janet Jackson. <laughs> you you think that was Janice? Do you think that was on purpose? That yes, wardrobe malfunction. Do you think Kim Kardashian's Sex tape that got out was on purpose? Yes, it's what people do to stay au courant or get au courant. I have an expression for you that I don't think makes any sense at all, though I think it's because it's been bastardized as time has gone on. Ready for this one, John? Yeah. When someone says as a platitude, it's always in the last place you look. Of course, it's always frigging. Last place you look. Well, that actually makes sense. It's obnoxious. But it makes literal sense, doesn't it? But that's what I'm saying. Okay, yes. But of course it's always in the last place you look, so why say it? Well, no, it may be useless, but it's not, it's not nonsensical. True. 
it makes sense on its face. So your last entry does not cut the mustard. No, that makes sense to me. Cut the mustard makes sure. sense to you. Yeah. And so it means to to rate, to qualify, to be good enough. Yeah. Why? Tie that back to mustard cutting for me. How do you think we get the condiment, John? Well, it's a seed. I assume it gets ground down and mixed with stuff. Or cut. We cut the seeds in order to get the mustard. If you don't cut the seeds, it ain't good mustard. So what about every other? Mustard. What about every other thing we make? We don't say cut the ketchup. We don't say cut the tomato. But no. you have to cut tomatoes in order to make ketchup, right? Kurt, cut the mustard. Do you have any real theories as to where it comes from? No, but didn't we also say that was flatulence as well? No. What was that? Cut no, that's the cut the cheese. I'll cut the cheese. That actually makes sense because it smells, right? Limburger cheese. Cut the mustard. I don't get it all. By the way, I had some English Stilton cheese the other night. Oh, my God. I love Stilton. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. okay. Why, don't you, why don't you tell us all about it, Kurt? I just love Stilton cheese. It's fantastic. Okay. Is it a smelly cheese, a Stilton? It's basically an English blue cheese. But, oh, is it? You have some... You have some English Stilton on a cracker by a fire with a peaty Scottish scotch from the island of Isla, and you are in heaven. Pig's heaven. You're in pig's heaven. Hey, does that make sense? I don't know what pig's heaven is, but Kurt, you do not live in a British social novel. Yeah, but I'm in pig's heaven. Isn't pig's heaven an expression? And it doesn't make sense. I don't know if that's an expression. I haven't heard it, but if you keep it up, making up these bogus stories, that will be the last straw. That makes sense to me. The last straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. The last straw? All right. Riddle me that one, Batman. Okay. So it's just adding more stuff and more stuff on. And the poor camel, who is a beast of burden, is going. And you finally, the person who just kept going, I got to add another one, finally adds the last one that breaks his back. Do Do they carry a lot of straw around? Hell yeah. They're a straw-carrying animal. They're beasts of burden. So basically, you added one more thing of that added weight, and at that point, Jenga, the whole thing fell down. Exactly. So, okay, I'm going to accept that, even though you are a pathological liar when we press the record button on this podcast. Not in real life, but somehow drivel comes out of no. all seven of your orifices. Logical. Would you like to offer one? Yes. And this I'm one saving here. my best one for last, Kurt. And we have to get to our last ones in the next couple minutes. So here's one which I this you will really enjoy being an English major and someone who enjoys the correct usage of words. All right. I will take it with a grain of salt, though. It does. There you go. It does not make sense when someone says, oh, my God, that was a near miss. All right. Let me think about that for a second. A near miss because it was a real miss. Yes, it was but a near miss. I know, but it was a near. But I think it. I think it means it missed by a little bit. No, you no, no. It means you judges miss, you miss getting hit by a little bit. But it's a near hit, not a near miss. That drives me crazy. You shred it, we. I accept your point, but I could see how people. It's another way of saying that just missed. But then say that. Okay, but there is more than one way to say things, Kurt. Or that almost hit, not a near miss, but I it think missed. I think it just means just missed. I don't think I don't think it's necessarily out of bounds, but I agree on its most literal face. You have an argument. So you're trying to tell me that's the exception that proves the rule? Oh, we're still confused by that one. 
but the proof is in the pudding. So we'll figure that one out. Get your ducks in a row. Yeah. We know what it means. Yeah. Do you have an origin story on that one? Yeah, it makes complete sense. Would you like to share it with me and our listeners, Kurt? Yes. When the farmers were taking their ducks into the market to sell, there was cacophony everywhere and ducks oh, tangled. All over. You're already off the rails with cacophony. <laughs> I now know you're lying. They go all over the place. And then Robert McCoskey wrote that great book about the ducks that went into Boston Garden. And we all read to our kids. Is I don't know that book. Yeah, of course you do. You read it to your kids. I read it to my kids almost every night. And it was make way for ducklings. You want your ducks to be in a row because that way they're neat and they're going in family order. And you can go to whatever you want, whether you want to sell them, whether you want to, whatever it needs to do. Right. So, I, I don't think it makes any sense on its face. I will give you one theory that is brought to us by our favorite sponsor, the internet. So some suggest that it actually originates the phrase ducks in a row from the game of pool. Now, would you like to hear more, Kurt? Yes. Okay. When a number of balls are lined up neatly near the pocket and can be tapped in one after the other, they're called sitting ducks. Love so that. The balls are lined up and there you have it. So I don't know that that's true. I'll take that as true. I also saw something that indicated that it sort of originated from HVAC and how you line up all the units when you're building. But ducks, D-U-C-T-S, became ducks because... Oh. Because you'd want all the ducks lined up in a sensible way. So I've seen that one too. All oh. that being said, who the hell knows what it means? I like it. had a lot. Well, then you should spill the beans. Well, you don't want to spill the beans. Fit as a fiddle. Mm -hmm. Other than our desperate need to alliterate, are fiddles known as a particularly svelte instrument? Yes. They are. Yeah. Have you looked at one? I know, but I've also seen like... Like a clarinet, it looks pretty fit as well. What is but it no, about a fiddle? A fiddle has a head, it has a neck, it has a body, it's got curves. It's like, How many orifices does a fiddle have? Exactly. Well, you have four. Okay, so we've got to wrap up. I would like to give you my, not my penultimate, Kurt, my ultimate. Thank you, because otherwise we'd still have to do another one. Exactly. That is the best thing since sliced bread. Since when did sliced bread become the most magnificent benchmark achievement in human history that all new things that follow are measured against the slicing of bread? 1920s. Okay, you're going to have to say more than that. Until the 1920s, people just got big hunks of bread. I understand that we invented a way to slice bread. Here's my question. Why is it seen as the ultimate in human achievement and the benchmark against which all other inventions are measured? I'll tell you exactly why. It is the, it is the example, the metaphor. It is the, the, the premium way to wrap your head around technology and what it's bringing to life and how it advances things, makes everything better. So they just pick something that everyone could understand. I had this hunk of bread. Now I have it sliced. I don't have to do this anymore. That's technology. I know, That's but you know what this means? Best thing since? It yeah. sort of implies that the thing you're being compared to was the last high watermark. 
We put a freaking man on the moon, yet we compare all new achievement against bread slicing. And the irony is we went back to unsliced as like the, the best oh, thing. If that isn't the world's greatest irony, I'm su- that lyric must have just been edited out of Alanis Morissette's song at the last minute. Exactly. What a shame. By the way, in her song, not one of her things is the definition of irony. She gets everything wrong, but that's okay. There you have it. There you have it. We'll, we'll leave it there. Kurt and I'll be back next week with another episode of Smart Drivel. Until then, we hope your week is filled with smart drivel. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bow, everyone.